Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast about children's development from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. Welcome to Inclusion Matters, a podcast from the Center for Inclusive Childcare. I'm Priscilla Weigel, and I'm the Executive Director, and I'm here today with my colleague, Sandy Heideman, who is one of our fabulous uh, RBPD specialists, relationship-based professional development specialists, one of our coaches who is out in childcare settings supporting all of you. And she also is a published author and has written seven different books, and three of those books really relate to play. And play is essential to a successful childhood. And some children, I think, feel that, or some people think that all kids are just automatically great at playing. So I'm glad you're here today, Sandy, to talk to us more about play. Great. And so your books really look at your, your, um, the whole pathway from theory to practice when we look at play. And then you have a couple workbooks that also go with that. One of them is when play isn't fun. And another one is when play isn't easy. And so I think that those tools really do, um, those, even those titles get us all thinking, okay, have I ever worked with a child where play hasn't been fun and play hasn't been easy? And I think we can all say yes to that question. And so I think, you know, if you want to just start with what's so essential in a child's life, why is play so important? Okay. Well, I think um, this is a question that could go on and on because <laughs> it's such a rich question. And really what happens in play is almost like magic. Hmm. When it's going well, it people really feel included and part of a bigger picture, part of a bigger story. And um, it, it's so um, exciting for kids when, when it really is clicking. When it isn't going well, there are fights over materials, there's disappointment, there's hurt. And, and those are the kinds of things that uh, in a classroom and at home, we can work to bridge some of those differences for kids. Mm-hmm. So that's really why uh, Deb Hewitt and I wrote the books is that we worked in therapeutic settings and we saw that there were children who just had a really hard time entering a place, you know, with other children. So right. that's, that's why we wrote these books. And wonderful tools, because I think too, when I look back to my time in in early childhood classrooms, I you know taught for many years, and you really look at children and you think this is supposed to be the most fun time of your life, and you're supposed to really you know we're supposed to be providing a setting for children to really enjoy being together and nurturing and supporting each other and being responsive to each other as children as peers, but I think sometimes we forget that sometimes they need a little help doing that, and so that's why I think. I'm I'm excited for you to talk with us today about how play really enhances not just their social emotional development and that connected interaction piece, but their whole being, their whole, all of their developmental domains. What's really wonderful about play for young children is they are using all their developmental um, skills to participate. And so, you know, when you think about language, which is really the key to communication for children. Mm-hmm. Play is filled with communication. 
Right. Children, they have to uh, communicate to figure out what they're going to play. They have to communicate to solve problems. And um, they really need language skills, particularly at those, uh, those levels of play they're doing at four and five, when they're building stories and scenarios together. And they say, oh, what about that shark over there? Oh, no, now we're scared. We got to go away. Yeah. Well, they have to have language in order to do that. Right. Um, right. One of the things that I saw over and over again is when kids had trouble, when they were have, had a language delay, they had a really t- hard time joining in, figuring out how to get into the play, figuring out how to be a character. Uh-huh. Um, it was really difficult for them. So language is a big component. Right. But, but one of the things that we don't often think about, I think, is the cognitive component. Mm. Because for children, the first place that they learn to symbolize and what is reading and what is math, it's symbolizing systems, right? That, you know, you can't always get a hold of. It's in your head that you're, you are organizing this. Well, they learn to symbolize with objects and it starts really young. And um, they learn that when they're, when they're really young, the stick is a stick, right? Yes. <laughs> it's a real yeah. object. Uh-huh. But then as they get older, they start to think, oh, well, this could be a cane or this could be a spoon. or uh-huh. And they imagine all other kinds of things. And then at the, when they're very sophisticated, they learn that I don't even need an object. Uh-huh. I can just hand over money and pretend it's money. Yeah. And so their play becomes very rich because they aren't dependent on that object to necessarily move the story along. Sure. That's fun. That's one of my favorite things. I love being in a room with children who are playing and using their imaginations and their creativity in that way. And they are just completely engrossed and enthralled with the whole theme. And they don't even know you're there as that adult. That's one of my favorite things to do is just to watch it all happen before our eyes. It's so great. It is so exciting to see that, you know, and just sit back and let them do it. It doesn't need your organizing. Once you've given those props, then (laughs) you can just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, you know, motor development is really important to play too. Um, Just to manipulate the objects, uh, just to be included in the play. And, you know, sometimes play can be demanding, <laughs> particularly outdoors. <laughs> you, you can be called on to do some really uh, big things with your uh, motor development. And then, you know, you mentioned um, socio-emotional development, and that is really, really important to um, children and, and learning things like, I don't have to always be the boss. Yes. I can share leadership. Mm-hmm. I can work through my problems. Yeah. I can say what I feel. And, and that is really a very, um, very important part of play is right. that socio-emotional component. Sure. Yeah. Negotiating for those roles, not always wanting to be the baby. I'd like to be the mother. I'd like to be the dad. I'd like to be the grandma. I'd like to be the boss, you know, and, that, that takes time for some kids to kind of get, get their feet under them and be able to stand up and, and ask for those opportunities, too. So it's a great practice. Yeah. 
And, you know, one of the things I always uh, used to love watching is when a child would be the mother and then another child would put their hand on their hip and go, that's not the way mothers act. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know it. Yeah. It's, it's always fun to be the observer and hear what's going on in those interchanges. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, children play what they see. Yes. Children play what's around them. That doesn't necessarily mean that all their play is literal and that that actually has happened to them. But it does mean that they're showing us part of their, well, this is a little romantic, but their soul. Yes. You yes. know, it's what's important to them, what what makes sense to them, what they love, mm -hmm. what they're scared of, mm -hmm. you know. So they really are giving us a window into who they are. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. And, you know, when you think about what we provide as the adults in their world to allow them, you know, you, you mentioned giving those props, you know, especially for, for children who are not quite to that real dramatic play stage of just imagining some of those tools and resources. We need to provide them with opportunities each day so that they can practice that time together, that time being creative. So, you know, not necessarily, keeping the same things out all the time, but adding some new things here and there. If you notice another chi a child who doesn't always get included, giving them a real hot prop that other children will be really keyed into and let them bring it over to that area so that they're invited in and have, you know, especially for the child who has some challenges with the communication piece that you said, you know, I think if you can't initiate verbally and say, I want to play with you, Sometimes you use other means. You might go over and crash down their tower. You might knock something over to get their attention. And that can cause some friction. So some of those pieces that we might observe as, you know, challenging behavior are really the child's attempt to play. And, you know, uh, I could talk about this a little bit later, too. But when I coach and I see a child who's knocking over towers, mm -hmm. First thing I ask is, what is their language level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that is the that is a primary way to get into a group. It's not okay. successful, right? <laughs> but it gets people's attention. They get, they get in there. Yeah, they do. They do. Well, you know, it's kind of this leads us into um, that topic of of children that might have some you know challenges related to play or communication or you know any of those those domains of development that really cause them to be sometimes on the outside looking in to play, you know? Um, so if we look at that whole piece of language, it can create, you know, we mentioned you can, you know, you can get people's attention with knocking down a tower, but that's not the kind of way you want to begin your play scenario. Mm -mm. No. And those children, they, they end up feeling really bad about themselves because the reaction from their peers and friends are, no, you can't play with us. You knocked down my tower. Yeah. And so um, children are very practical in the sense that, no, I, I don't want you knocking down my tower. Right. So, so it's, a, it's not a good strategy for them. And yeah. language, not having language really affects how they create a scenario, how they negotiate roles, 
-hmm. It really creates a situation where they may always have to play the same role, mm -hmm. like a dog or a baby. Yeah. Uh -huh. And that doesn't feel good. No. Right. And, and one of the things that I think is important to think about is how speaking a different language than English, how that affects play. Right. If you're trying to have groups that have uh, English, the English is the main language. Right. And those children who don't speak it, how do they come into the play? Mm -hmm. And how do they uh, manage some of those relationships? Um, so it's, it's very complicated. And I think sometimes we minimize play, mm -hmm. like, Parents will come in and say, well, they're just playing because they really, of course, want their children to be learning the school kinds of um, skills. Right. But, but they are learning the school skills. <laughs> right. Play, so, yeah. And I think, you know, helping folks who are educating young children with being able to articulate and and understand the learning that's happening in that situation, which you have done beautifully during our conversation here is just really looking at those components that create successful play situations. And then also our role as the grown-up in the room and what does that look like and how can we foster that? And, and we're going to do another um, podcast with you, Sandy, and, and um, talk about, you know, how we as adults can really help the situation move forward in a positive way. And I also, I love that you brought up children who's, um, who are not using, you know, English, but the play is all in English, being in tune as that adult in the room and watching, you know, we, we talk all the time about how beautiful observation is when you're in an early childhood setting, because taking the time, even though it seems like we often don't have the time because we're doing a million things at once, but taking the time each day to really step back, watch, observe, see how everyone's doing in those play situations. And also pulling in a coach, perhaps. I mean, certainly CICC coaches spend a lot of time helping those who are providing care to, to be those that extra set of eyes in that classroom setting or in that child family childcare, because that's when you really do get a chance to see the challenges or the huge successes that maybe have been a long time coming. And, you know, those, those triumphs where you think, wow, that child has knocked over the tower for the last three weeks to try to get their attention. And today they walked over and they looked like they were going to knock it down, but they didn't. And they just stood on the outskirts and watched. Well, that's a huge step forward because they're starting to kind of put the pieces together to go, okay, that didn't work. I've got to try something new. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so one thing that um, we always try to do on our podcast, Sandy, is engage our listeners a little bit. So I, I a question for our listeners out there is just um, wondering what your favorite play experience is that you offer in your setting. I know for me, I always love to have um, a refrigerator box that I just kept <laughs> using. And so we, we, call it the year in the life of a box and we just keep changing it into different things, but that dramatic play opportunity to really just use their imagination and, you know, they have the children in the group say what they wanted the box to be next and then paint it, cut it, move it, duct tape it, whatever, but providing opportunities in your setting. What's your favorite? We'd love to hear from you um, in response on our social media. So 
I think what we're going to do, Sandy, is save our um, rest of our conversation for our next podcast when we look at adults and our role. And I thank you for being here and helping us really learn a little bit more about those key components of play and all that that does for a child and their overall development. And um, also, I'm so grateful that you're on our team as a coach. And I know that the work that you do out there across the state and in the metro area primarily is is so supportive of children and what's really best for them in a compassionate and kind way. So I appreciate that about you. And um, thank you for being here. And I look forward to continuing our conversation in our next podcast. For those of you listening, if you want to reach out to us uh, at our website, um, it's inclusivechildcare.org. We have resources, other podcasts. We have um, also you can follow us on our social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we look forward to engaging you in the future on other things that you think would be useful as far as topics. So thank you, Sandy, and I look forward to talking to you soon. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit us at inclusivechildcare.org.